Can I say that one more time? Is that what you're going to ask me? Yeah, could you say that one more time? No, no, I'm afraid I can't. All right, so you're going to have to excuse Jason Pridmore because he's feeling a little congested. A little bit. I'm all right, though. I'll make it through this. Yeah, I, but you, you've been now that we got the stripper music on and my ears are all perked up now. It's perfect. I can hear dude, it. This, yeah, this gets you fired up, doesn't it? Oh, it does. It really does. Can't explain it. How you doing, G Dub? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, just you know, got back from Vegas, obviously for an archery tournament, which was interesting and fun. And I'm off uh, to Texas this weekend for a different type of archery tournament. So mm. I've been working a little bit. You uh, finally home after spending 90 days at the racetrack? Oh my gosh, I was out at Chuckwalla for 10 days. So yeah, it was 10 days of, uh, of Chucky. So it was good though. I mean, look, I got it pretty comfortable out there with the garage and the cabins and you've been out there. I know that, but it's it's not like the track is, it's not like it's near anything. So like if you, even if you had some time off and you wanted to peel away from Chuck to go, I don't know, you know, even down to the grocery store, it's an hour plus away or whatever, you know, it's just, it is, it is. But you know, um, it's the great thing about the place is there's so much to do out there if you want to do it. And the cabins would have really made that place. I can't imagine doing it. There's no well. There's no way I would have done it the way we used to do it. Remember when we used to? Oh my gosh! Have yeah. to be there and then leave at night and drive to Indio to get to a hotel and then turn around and drive back out the next day. Oh my god, it would have just been grueling. Now having the cabins though is great because we just stock up every you know. And there's enough of us out there. Everybody brings food. It all gets cooked. I mean, you know, with Simon's garage now, um, you know, he's got that kitchen up there where I do the podcast, and I know you've seen that as well, and. So we go up there and we have dinner in the evenings. And then we, when Kevin and Brooke are there, we're down there watching Supercross and MotoGP and UFC and all the other stuff. I mean, so it's not really unlike, you know, just being on vacation somewhere where you can just bring all your own food, like in an Airbnb. It's, it's easy. And um, I'm never going to complain about being at the racetrack. It's just, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's work. People don't realize that it's actually, it's, it's work. So even though my work is amazing and it's fun. Yeah. I, I, Colt told me though the Sunday races, cause it was the last round of the CVMA series for the year, right. I think. Right. Yeah. And he said Sunday they had to cancel cause it was blowing so bad. Yeah. And I was there. So when you come in there now, they're plowing all the fields for solar. And so yeah, they have a bunch of solar fields. You remember that? Up. So basically what's happening out there is when you move that much new dirt, the, the dirt underneath is all fine. And, and, and man, when the wind kicks up out there right now, there's a ton of dust. And what was really funny on Sunday is it seemed like it was all around us, even though it was blowing very hard. And it seemed like it was more all around us than actually over the racetrack. And then about three or four races in, it started getting to the point where it was getting bad on the track as well. And um, I ended up leaving because I wanted to get home. Um, I ended up leaving probably about 20 or 30 minutes before the shootout was supposed to start. And I was that far down the road when I got the call that they canceled the day. So I didn't feel too guilty for leaving because, you know, it's hard for me to leave once I'm out there with those guys. Oh, yeah, totally. Hey, hey, if you're listening to our podcast and you haven't subscribed yet on whatever service, please do that. Smash that subscribe button and make sure that every time we post a new podcast, you're going to get a notification. Okay. And by the way, why you do that? Why do you do that voice? What's wrong with you? I don't know. It's just one of those things when you watch YouTube, it's like everybody's got the same spiel. You know what I mean? And it's just so... But you, to, did the sp- you did the same spiel in a stupid voice. Yeah, because it was kind of campy. Like, I really do... We do appreciate everybody subscribing, but it's no, that whole... Of course. Make sure yep. you smash that subscribe button. It's like, yeah, smash it. Okay, click. 
you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also, uh, for anybody who's interested, anyone who is interested, we now have a Patreon page. I have no idea what I'm doing on Patreon, but it's in the description of this podcast uh, on Podbean. So if you want to go, I don't know, donate to the podcast because people have been asking because they enjoy it and they want to just contribute a little bit. I, I literally have like a link to donate five bucks. If you want to donate more, I, I don't even know how you do that. Click on more. I, I don't know, but we do have a Patreon now, Jay. So, yep. So that's that. Uh, in this one, we're going to have a Rye News. And of course, we're going to talk about the return of Mac Marquez to MotoGP and all the results from Portimao, Supercross stuff, MotoGP and Supercross fantasy. Uh, on the Greg's Ride of the Races side, we're not going to be talking about a whole, mu- a whole bunch, but I will tell you this that we're recording this on Wednesday. So, in a week from now, which will be the beginning of Moto America on that Friday, Wednesday night, the 28th at 6 p.m., Kyle is going to be bringing his rig, and I think he's going to do a livery reveal at the Gainesville Panera Bread. There's only one oh, in Gainesville, awesome. Georgia. Uh, and I am riding to the races. I'm going to actually leave that day to start my ride to the races on Wednesday. So I will be there at six o'clock. So if you want to stop by and see, see Kyle's bike, if you want to chat me up about stuff, feel free to come by. I think it's an hour, maybe two from seven, six to seven, six to eight, something like that. I don't know the details, but if you're in the area, Gainesville Panera bread, stop by and, uh, and come say hi, you know, and, um, if you want to see any of the videos that I am producing for the Greg's Ride of the Races stuff that'll be happening on and off all season long, you can go subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is Greg's Garage TV. All right. So I'm going to be there. I'm going to try to get there for that. I'm looking at my flight information right now to see if I'm going to be getting off the plane early enough to make it over to uh, to Kyle's deal. You know what? It's interesting you say that because I got a call from a buddy of mine who was like, hey, are you going to Kyle's thing? I said, yeah. And he's like, is Jason going to be there? Why don't you guys do a live podcast from there? Oh, man. I was like, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. We have a problem doing live. Like, we don't really have, like, the proper equipment to do a live broadcast yet. So It would be fun to do. Actually, I don't land. Wow. Nope, I won't be there. I land really, really late. I don't know why I did this. But the good news is, yeah, I'm so bad. Are but you at Chuck Walla news- this week? You're not going back, are you? No, I literally... Okay. Not going. Okay. I, I don't go back to Chuck till May second, uh, the weekend after Road Atlanta. Oof. Okay. All right. It's I go back out there. Could be pretty warm though, you know. But I am flying out of Santa Barbara this week, which makes me a lot happier. So for our listeners, that's what I'm doing. Sorry to bore you guys with that. Greg and I are talking like we're on the phone right now. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So why yeah. don't we why don't we roll things on here and do our news do presented it. by Arai? Uh, uh, uh. The Pro Shade system is Arai's answer to the internal sunshade. By having an external drop-down sunshade, as opposed to one position internally between the shell and the EPS liner, impact absor- absorption performance is not diminished. Maximum EPS thickness is retained across the front and of the sides of the head where internal drop-down lenses and its pivot mechanism would be located, allowing optimal rider protection it allows Rye Helmets to keep the Schnell rating. Go visit AriAmericas.com for more information. Go pick out a color you'd like and get a helmet. David Kolb is a big fan. Big fan. Really um, was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Jay. So, let's do this. Let you say we start off with some Moto America Wyman news. This time it's going to be Cody. A press release came out about Cody Wyman's 2021 race program. He'll be back in the Sport Bike Track gear.com junior 
let me try that again, right? Like, because I've got to do this all year, don't I? The sportbiketrackyear.com. Sportbiketrackyear.com junior class. But this time on a Kawasaki Ninja 400 prepared by his pops. Now what can we expect from Cody Wyman, Jason, now that he's on a Ninja 400? Well, I think I think Cody, obviously, I think Cody's a tremendous rider. Um, they've changed the rules this year a little bit for the Yamaha. It would have been nice if that could have happened for him maybe a little bit sooner. But now he's on the bike that he's watched guys win on and, and watch guys do well on. I, I think Cody's going to be right up there in the front of that class. So um, he's got some experience and, and so on. I'm looking forward to see who's going to step up. You know, we, we've lost Rocco. We've lost um, Dominic Doyle. I know Ben Glotti's going to be in there still. Ben was out at Chuckwalla, and I didn't even know that Ben was at Chuckwalla until after I left Chuckwalla, which oh, is that's very – Yeah, and you know, the thing is, is I saw – a, a, a Ninja 400 bike 72, but I didn't, I didn't, it didn't, uh, c- you know, compute in my brain that it was Ben. Well, he's but, from New Hampshire. I mean, how correct. often do you expect him to so come I feel, out? I feel bad that I didn't get to go over and say hi to him and have a chat with him and all that stuff. Um, but, but, you know, he'll be another kid that will be a contender. I think Gus Rodeo, if, you know, if he comes back healthy, he'll be a contender. There's a number of kids that are going to be contenders. There's a couple out here in California Aiden Thal's been riding a lot. Chuck Walla. Owen Williams is going to be um, starting his career in Moto America as well, um, who I know you met out here when you came. So, I, you know, I, I think that we're not going to be lacking um, talent in that class because we lost two of the top guys. I think we're still going to be seeing uh, really good racing. Now, I do have some inside information. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to share it. There's two things. Number one, Well, then one, let's do I, that, right? If we're not yeah. sure, let's just go ahead and do it. I mean, I'm going to do it, so whatever. I get in trouble, yeah. I get in trouble. Sure. I mean, you know, whatever. I got a signed contract, and there's not a single soul in the world that wants this play-by-play job in Moto America. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. anyway, so uh, a couple things. Number one, on Thursday, before Road Atlanta, I'm going to get to hang out with Ben Glotti and a couple other riders because uh, we're going to be doing a little video stuff for like Live Plus and maybe even it'll make the broadcast But because um, there'll be some super bike riders there. I'm going to teach people how to shoot a bow, how to shoot bow and arrows. Poor kids. Yeah, it'll be fun. Well, they're not all kids. I mean, what Bobby if they Fawn aim it at going. you? That would be that's that's no, TV. See, that's the greatest thing about archery. It's why parents love archery so much. You know, if there's an arrow loaded in the thing, and uh, yeah, it, it, it would take a long time, like longer. Longer than your reaction time should be if a kid turned around and then pulled the bow back. Like it's yeah. it's it's relatively safe, so it's it's good. It's not so like the old Robin thing. Hood movies where he just pulls one out the back and it gets you in the head, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, you don't need legs, Jay. So why don't you come on out and uh, give it a go? Why don't we let these kids shoot an apple off your head or something? Make this stuff interesting. <laughs> yeah, then you'd come, huh? Like I, if, if I, I was like, hey, that. Jay, they're I ain't gonna, gonna lie. Yeah, the, yeah. the one who can who can shoot the smallest balloon on the target ten yards away can go for an apple at my head at fifty. Is I that love what we're that. Do? Love it. But Jay, look, I have an early version of the entry list for Moto America. I right? don't know if it's the final, but yep. I do want to make some comments here because I'm not going to give away some riders who are rumored to be racing and might be racing, might not be racing. But I will say this. The entry list, the numbers of people that are going to be racing is really impressive. I mean, really? so yeah, I mean, so far, Jason, you're looking at 27 people entered in the Superbike class, which is that that's that's pretty deep. And but the biggest class we have of entries at the moment, stock thousand. No way. 35 really? people in stock thousand. Wow. Yeah. Now I I yeah, I, I see I don't know what I can give away because yeah, but 
We know that Ashton Yates is racing that new Honda CBR1000RR-RSP, and there'll be another one in the field, and I'm not going to say who it oh, is. Oh, wow. So Great. In this, yeah, in the Stock 1000 field, you're going to have that bike. Of course, you have ZX10s, R1s, BMW S1000s. So it's looking like a pretty uh, pretty stacked field. If you look at the the talent in Stock 1000 and what we have going on in Superbike, including a surprise for some people that we have going on. So I just wanted to mention that. Also, what I found out, so this might be a third thing, but it's really not. What I found out too, Jay, in the, not the rumor mill, but right from the horse's mouth, ticket sales for Road Atlanta are like through the roof. Like they're really? approaching double what wow. it was last year. And if you remember Sunday last year, because it was Road Atlanta with COVID and people were already wanting to get out. I remember there being a line down the hill to leave Road Atlanta. We watched that, didn't we? Yeah, for like an hour, right? And and so it's- We did, it's, we watched that. It's going to be a great, it, I think the fan attendance is going to be- it's going to be fantastic. And it was our and it was our third round last year because we did two Road Americas, if I'm not mistaken, first. Did we not? We did. So by that time, people were like, hey, they're coming to Atlanta. And and uh, yeah, I mean, back in the old days, Atlanta was packed. But Greg, Greg and I last year from our new commentating booth there that they built that and a whole new press tower and everything, we were laughing because there were so many people coming down the hill. And we park on the right side of the track, so if we need to make a quick exit, and it's easy for us to get access to the paddock by just going over the little footbridge. But uh, we we were looking out the window, and we couldn't believe how many people there were coming down the hill. It was just jammed. Uh, dude, I'm pretty excited for yeah. the season to start. I, I'm really excited. I think some riders have made some big changes. I can't wait to see what Jake Gagne has there, and obviously the addition of Loris Baz. I mean, I'm just in the Superbike class alone, and I, I'm pretty pumped. I am pretty pumped. So Next Tuesday, um, are, we, are we doing our podcast next Tuesday? Because we should start not making predictions. I don't <clears throat> I don't know if I can make any real predictions. but We're going to have to. I mean, yeah. yeah. So next Tuesday, we're going to record our podcast because obviously both of us, I'm going to have to leave really early Wednesday morning mm-hmm. to start my ride to the races and stuff because I'm not just, it's a five-hour straight shot down a freeway. I'm not doing that. I'm going to peel off and go to the North Georgia Mountains. Oh, Wednesday yeah. night, I'm going to be staying at this place called Two Wheels of Suchus, or it used to be called Two Wheels Only. Right. And it's right at the base of some rides. But I have that archery thing at one o'clock. I was planning on riding the North Georgia mountains all day on Thursday, but they're beautiful. That's the one place I've ridden. I'll be honest. It's the one place I've ridden is the North Georgia mountains. And, uh, yeah, Tommy Parrott. Yep. It was, you know, uh, his his dad and Ooh, I mean, I mean, I got a throwback name for you. I think the last time I was there, like on a serious ride, like where I spent like all day, just riding with a friend. Was yep. Scott McGlynn. McLean? Wow, I remember McGlynn? Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott Remember McLean, our friend yeah. Scott? Yeah. Great guy. Yeah, great guy. Atlanta Country Club. Well, I think it's great to see that the entries are so up. I love the I love hearing that. I think it's great that we got super stock guys because if Superbike class really does start to open up and we do get any rides opening up over the next couple of years, I mean Super Stock Thousand would be the kind of place I'd like to showcase it because you're gonna get to see these younger guys on on big thousands and see how they're controlling them. So there's going to be a lot of guys. Maybe next next week we'll go through the entry lists a little bit more um, of who is going to be where, and we can uh, and we can talk about it a little. Hey, MotoGP news: Jorge Martin had an operation today on Wednesday, and so he is out at Jerez. And the move that Ducati made is to put Tito Rabat on the Pramac Ducati to fill in for him. Now, the word is is that Michele Piro, who normally would their test rider, he's going to be at a two day test at Mugello during that time as they prepare for that Ducati's, you know, home race in Mugello. So Tito J back on a GP bike before his world Superbike debut on that Barney racing Penagali. What are your thoughts on putting Tito on that bike? 
Well, I guess it makes sense, right? If Piro can't do it, they got to find somebody. And, you know, like as we discussed, it's it seems the right move. He's been on the MotoGP bike for however many years. He's been on the Ducati for however many years. They need a, re- they need a replacement. Put him on there. So, um, I mean, Pramac Ducati is going to be definitely a step up from where he was. I think riding for Avincia. He's going to be on a little bit more updated bike. He's already seen what that bike can do this year. So, it's going to give him a little chance to go get some competition under his belt also before uh, World Superbike kicks off. So good for Tito Rabat. Yeah, it's really cool. Good yeah. luck to him for sure. Hey, you know what? The American Flat Track race dubbed the Atlanta Super TT is getting a lot of attention. That race is scheduled for Saturday, May 1st in the evening. So right, you know, it's, it is an hour and a half down the road from where we're going to be, but it is that same weekend um, that we're at Road Atlanta. So check this out. For the first time, and I didn't know this. The number nine, 199 is back on two wheels. Travis Pastrana will be racing a Red Bull KTM Factory Racing 450 SXF in his attempt to make the main. That should be fun to watch. What do you think about Pastrana doing a Super TT race? Well, Got a little bit of asphalt, a little bit of dirt, a little bit of jumps. I think it's, it's going to be extremely, extremely difficult. But, I mean, who doesn't like to see him doing anything? I think Travis is one of the most entertaining guys I love watching him on Instagram. I love watching with his watching him with his kids on Instagram. Um, and I mean, there's, there's a guy who's just constantly reinventing himself all the time as far as the things he likes to do, the the stuff he pulls off. Um, so this would be cool to see. I mean, you look at a guy like him. You look at a guy like Ryan Sipes. I mean, a guy that we've gotten to know obviously through some of our Supercross fantasy. But I mean, how talented are you? that you can go do all these different events and, you know, be able to just jump on a motorcycle and go and go do this stuff. So um, I think it's great to see Travis, you know, on a bike and going and doing something like this. Also part of it though, cause you, you know, you haven't seen Sipes, you haven't seen, um, you know, Travis yet. You haven't seen these guys come road racing. It, I think it mm. also kind of shows you what a departure motorcycle road racing is from some of these other disciplines. Don't you think? No, there's no question because we've got a lot of our guys that go and do moto and there's some guys out there like we talked about before, like Gagne and Cam Peterson, Josh Hayes, um, who really, really know how to ride a motocross bike. Um, you know, Gagne even qualified for, for a national. That said, I don't think that any if you take any one of the top guys in motocross and you gave them some time on a road race bike, it wouldn't take them long to adapt. I had a few of them in the past come through the school. So, I mean, there was a, there was a number of them, uh, that, 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 that loved it, but it is definitely a different discipline than who than, came out to Pahrump that one time. Was it Emig? I mean, Emig, uh, Emig's been through McGrath, right? Just, just Pastrana. kept running off like Pastrana, Pastrana. That one time yeah. at Pahrump, Emig I remember Emig kept, running, Emig off, yes. kept running off, running off and just slowing it down, slowing mm-hmm. it down, like getting back on track. And that, that was a lot of fun. Actually, Correct. he never really wanted himself, but he was Buddy doing Antonis it was the best. Oh yeah, Buddy Ant. Oh my gosh, great. Buddy Anton, especially on a six hundred. Buddy was he could rip. He was great. Mike Metzger came out. Like I said, Pastrana came out to I think my very first school I ever did. Well, the best of, best is Jean Michel Bale, but I never met him. Well, yeah, I never met him either. But yeah, I raced against him at Le Mans. So mm. Le Mans twenty four. Well, yep. Speaking about kind of doing different disciplines, um, not satisfied with retirement, eight time GNCC champ Caleb Russell will give motocross a try. Uh, we'll have to wait a little while, though, Jay, because he injured himself with a broken jaw and three broken oh. broken ribs. But he's going to be teamed up in the 250 class with Max Voland. Oh, yeah, so, right. Yep. Yeah. And so I'm really pumped to see. I've known Caleb for quite a while. Like when I was hosting the Racer X show a number of years ago, 
Um, and you know, the fact that he's going to go promoto has been a dream for him. So I hope he crushes it. You know, that's he, great. He, we saw Max dream. this year in the two fifty West coast, then he got hurt. So I think he, hopefully he'll be back for, you know, what is it? That, don't they do West coast round out here? Uh, when they come Salt Lake city, I think it's Salt Lake city. Yeah. So Salt Lake city is the next round and that's a West coaster or the la- and then the last one's the East West shootout. Is that East right? West shootout or something like that? Yeah. You know what? We should do our homework and find out what that's going to be like. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, but it's something like that, G-Dub. So, yeah. Anyway, so that's your news presented by Arai. Love it. Well, let's get right into this because it was a tremendous weekend in Portugal. Um, Again, MotoGP and all around it doesn't disappoint. There were surprises. There were uh, comebacks. Obviously, there. You know, when you look at the Moto Three race, crazy again. Uh, All of it. All of it has been great. But let's just get right to MotoGP. Fabio Quattro looks like he's on one, Greg. Maybe, just maybe, he's found the combination that he needs to try to go win this championship this year. He goes on and wins his second Grand Prix of the year. Uh, I think the more interesting stat for me is how many of us would have put money on Monster Energy uh, Yamaha winning the first three rounds of the series. I don't think that there'd be too many people that would do that, but with Vinales' round one win and Quattro winning the next two, that's indeed what's going on. Bagnaya ends up second. I think it was maybe the ride of the day to be able to come from that far back and uh, do what he did, but we'll talk about that as well. Can't take too much away from Quattro for what he did, but we'll get to the Bagnaya situation in a minute. Juan Mir ends up third. Morbidelli, really good to see him up there, ends up fourth, just off the podium behind Mir. Brad Binder, amazing. KTM gets that bike up there. I saw in the pre-race interviews, Greg, that he said he had really good race pace and that they still got to work on getting a little bit more out of the front tire. One of the questions, one of the things he had mentioned was his race lap compared to his qualifying lap, there was only a 0.1 difference. And he basically is talking about that uh, being because of the front tire. Alicia Spargo ends up sixth. The returning Mark Marquez ends up seventh and only 13.2 off the win. Alex Marquez's brother sees his brother up the road by four seconds, finishing eighth. Must have been a fun dinner conversation. Bastianini <laughs> ends up ninth. I mean, your boy, Taka Nakagami. Can't say enough about him. We'll get to that in a minute as well. He ends boy, up 10th. Oh Vinala's a mystery in 11th. Marini, Petrucci, Savadori, and Iker Lekawona are the ones that are going to be rounding out your point scores. Uh, Oliveira does finish after crashing. Our, our key non-finishers here, obviously, Zarco, uh, points leader coming in, crashes. Rins running second. And pushing Quattro pushes himself off and falls. Rossi tips off. Miller tips off. And Paul Sparger looked like he had a mechanical. But, Greg, what, what's your biggest takeaway from this race? I mean, there's so many. Their stories are deep. I mean, yeah. it's so it's so deep. Um, Zarco m- made a mistake, kind of blamed it on the transmission a little bit, said yep. that he went down one extra gear. That loaded up the front, and that caused him to tuck the front. So, you know, you if you're going after world championship, you can't make mistakes like that. So that's that. The I was surprised deal. to see that too. I was surprised to see it too, and he. I think Zarco's really, really, really good. He 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 is, and he he looked fine, composure. But he said, you know, he made a mistake, and then he kind of went on to say that well, the transmission started giving him a bit of an issue and that type of thing. So, uh, it's a bummer. It's a bummer to see him lose that world title. I thought it would be a little bit closer, but. You look at the Rin situation, I think, is another one where he said he doesn't have any idea. If you look at the data, he claims 
everything was the same, same position on the track, same brake pressure, same everything. So when you right, when you're riding at the edge though, when you're riding at the edge, like these guys do, it can happen so quickly and you just sit there scratching your head. And sometimes you just have to sit there and think to yourself, you know, that, that track, Greg, isn't, it isn't smooth. It's, it's, it's fairly bumpy and coming down into that is very severe. I've literally stood right there on the inside of that turn and boy, it just seems so easy for that to happen. Cause if you watch the video as a rider, when you know that you're making a corner, when you know that you're comfortable in a turn, um, your head starts to turn and look through the corner. And if you watch the video of it, it looked like his head had already turned. Like he'd already felt like his speed was controlled he was under control and his head turned like, okay, I'm good to go. And then it went, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it, if you go back and you watch that replay, it, it's very telling because as a, as a rider and, and, and I'm sure you've had this experience when you're in there too deep, you're kind of keeping an eye on, okay, I'm running a little bit wide here. Where's this bike going to? And then once you feel like you've got it under control, then you can kind of look through the corner and finish it. Well, he was committed. He'd, he'd already started looking through the corner and front went, so, yeah, interesting. The pace was fast, okay? It wasn't, you know, like everybody was like, oh my God, I went so much faster. And most people did. I'm not saying they didn't go faster. Now, it's only the second time that MotoGP has visited this circuit. And, you know, to give the nod to Miguel Oliveira last year, his total race time was 41 minutes and 48 seconds. And that was with, a, you know, he won by three seconds over Miller, uh, 3.2 over Morbidelli. So this year's race, the total race time was actually only two seconds faster, but that's also to say that Quattararo went way faster. I mean, like, um, I think he finished something like 25 seconds back last year. So if you look at Quattararo, he went 26 seconds, you know, faster in the total race time. So, you know, there was a lot of that going on. I think, uh, you know, only the second time it's still, you're taking a little bit more risks than you normally would. Maybe you don't feel the front tire Mm -hmm. as well as you should, you know, those types of things. I understand that analysis part of it, but, um, it, it, it looks very physical, Jay. I mean, that track looks very difficult, looks very physical on the body. It It really is. And if, did you see qualifying, uh, like Q, Q2 at all? Yeah. Okay. So Mark Marquez he waited until like five minutes out. So we had to go through Q1. He was able to follow uh, Mir around, drag him, you know, Mir kind of drug him into Q2. And he was struggling. I mean, his arm was hurting. He he was working out on the arm of the chair, kind of the inside of the muscle. Yeah. He yeah. was stretching out the arm and was still able to, you know, do what he did. And then I was like, dude, there's no chance that this dude finishes within 20 seconds of the race leaders because, you know, he was, he was hurting and I knew he was going to fade at the end. So, you know, if you look at it, I know that people are really focused on, on the number P7, but yeah, P7, there were a couple late exits of that race. Obviously the Zarco and the Rins situation took him from P9 to P7. But I think the thing is, like you were saying earlier, the fact that he's only 13.2 seconds off the pay or, you know, off the, the lead with how many laps? 20, 22 laps. Do you know That's... how good that therapy is for arm, for your arm? Like when you have an injury like he has, okay? Sadly, 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 I know a little bit about this stuff. And you come back to race, all right? And you're not sure if you can get through the weekend. Well, after you do Friday, and you get there Saturday morning. You you are in a little bit of pain, but now you kind of know what to expect when you're getting on the bike on Saturday. All right, so you know that you're not the most comfortable, but you kind of have an idea of what to expect. So, um, 
And that kind of gets you through the weekend. Every time you're on the bike, even if it gets a little bit more painful, it actually gets a little bit better because you kind of learn how to ride around things and you kind of understand what you're going to deal with. And what I used to try to do, G-Dub, was I literally would just grip my teeth and go, okay, 20 laps is, is literally nothing. It was the same kind of philosophy I had when I was going in to get an operation. I'd be like, I got to go in and get this operation. But as, as soon as I get out of this operation, I'm going to start feeling better. Racing was kind of like that too if you had a major injury, but you wanted to get through the weekend. I thought this weekend was crucial for him. I don't think he could have missed a third race and still thought that maybe he could win the championship. I think it'll be different this year. Guys saw what Renz did, or Amir did last year. So I think that for him, you, you've got to you got to look at what Renz and Zarco did. They just they are going to be the guys, as will everybody this season. I feel, with the exception of maybe one or two, that will hand points to Marquez by not finishing. He's banking on that. So Zarco's done it now. Renz has done it now. Morbidelli did it. Morbidelli did it in round one. Miller's done it in round one, two, and three. So all, all these guys are are allowing that seventh place finish to be a remarkable feat after going through qualifying one to qualifying two because he was managing himself all weekend. Wherever he finished was where going to be was going to be where he finished. Um, and so to your point, you know you're sitting there watching him, you know, kind of hurting in the pit in in the garage and stuff, but all the while, it's let's manage, let's manage myself, uh, let's push, let's have a little bit of fun, let's get through the weekend, let's score some points, and uh, you know, and 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 I mean, it was just an, an incredible job by him, and to only be 13 seconds off the pace, which means, you know, he's losing, um, you know, obviously less than a second a lap. Uh, incredible job. Do you think that? if he comes back and wins this world championship, that it cements him as the greatest motorcycle GP racer of all time. I think it's hard not to have that conversation already um, just because of what he's done and the way he's done it and how many years he's been in the championship and how many championships he's won. Um, I don't really, I think the other thing that makes it an argument for him is that he's done it arguably on a bike that might not be the easiest to ride uh, just based off of other people getting on that same machinery. So I've never really been one, Greg, and I know you're a little bit the same too, where it comes to discussing who the, you know, who the greatest of all time is in any sport, because generations change decade over decades. And, you know, it's, it's, you've seen this in every sport possible. Who's the best, who's the best, who's the best. And, you know, when you look at it, um, when you look at it, it's hard to, it's hard to really say that. Mark Marquez might not have been the best that we've ever seen. I know people go back to like the Augustini days and that, but I just don't think that the level of machinery and the level of competition, I mean, back then, back then in the sixties and in the seventies and stuff, guys were getting, guys were getting paid to race. And then from third place back or fourth place back, those were the guys that were working just to get to the races every weekend. I mean, it wasn't unlike Augustini to lap up through fifth place or fourth place in Grand Prix back in the day, because the level of machinery and involvement from fourth or fifth place back wasn't, and I'm not taking anything away from him, please understand. But when you look at like what Marquez done, what Rossi did before him, um, the competition's been, it's, and right now it's as good as it could ever be. He comes back and wins this year. I think it's a true mark on him. You know, one of the things I was thinking about was just, you know, like it's really difficult to compare times and and circumstances as well, because 
How do you discount? Why is Mick Dewin not in this conversation? Right. I agree. Right? Like what Mick Dewin did, he came back from injury one, what, five? Yeah. Right? Like, and you go, man, that was unbelievable. And he did it in a time with no electronics and, you know, no, you know, which means no traction control and all that kind of stuff. But then you look at someone like Wayne Rainey during his time. And, you know, Wayne, <laughs> Wayne had an innocent low side crash. And he was actually the victim of the way a gravel trap was groomed. You know, yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. and unfortunately he gets hurt. He's paralyzed. His career's over, but he was marching towards his fourth in a row. Yeah. No so question. It's, to mean, me, it's yeah. really difficult to say, OK, great. So Marquez has done all this. He's accomplished all this. But how is how a gravel trap is groomed, like, you know, not factored into the fact that, well, what does that have to do with Wayne Rainey's ability to race a motorcycle? Everybody crashes. Right. He was a victim of circumstance in that particular case. It was completely out of his control. And the way that those gravel traps were groomed where he got injured was for Formula One, as, as I remember the story. And then after that investigation, whenever motorcycles come to tracks, they have to groom those gravel traps flat yeah, so cert- you don't get hurt. Way. So, right. Yeah. A certain way. So, it, you know, it's it is kind of a it's a loaded conversation. I'm Let's not going to say way. that McDoin came through at a time when uh, maybe some of the competition wasn't the best because you can go back and you can go, well, who finished second? And who finished third? And. That's kind of, I think, what you can go back on and look at and you think to yourself, a lot of times when you can't remember who finished second, who finished third, or who he was really racing against, for whatever reason, it it's it's people looked at it as it's detrimental to what their legacy is. Mick Dewan had to race against whoever he was racing against, but he was racing against guys that were on like machinery like his own. So it wasn't like he was the only guy racing on that bike and the only guy, you know, he he managed to figure out how to do it. And when you think about the injury that he came back from, which was as catastrophic as they come, you know, I think, I think it was, uh, you know, his career was remarkable. So there's a number of guys you look at. Kenny Roberts went over there. He was the first American, you know, other than Steve Baker actually won a 750 world title that nobody really talks about, but in the 500 Grand Prix area era, Kenny Roberts goes over there and beats Barry Sheen. And at that time, that was a big talking point and so on. So, yeah, right. So that, so then you deal with this guy reinvented the sport, right? He yeah. literally created, you know, knee dragging down and blah, blah, blah. And then you have to also factor in Jason, um, like risk, right? Versus reward. I mean, if you look at racetracks back then, they were a lot more a lot dangerous. dangerous. There wasn't gravel yep. track. So you're talking about, so how do you define the best? You're talking yeah. about someone who's the gutsiest, someone who's the luckiest, yeah. someone yeah. who can, like, you, you, you don't know. There's so many tracks have changed. Uh, tire technology has changed. Electronics have changed. Everything. Definitely careers are a lot longer. So even, I'm thinking back to the AMA days, right? You had guys that like Miguel Duhamel who won races, blah, 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 blah. But then when we transition to those double round weekends, yep. all of a sudden now you give people an opportunity to race many more races, which also gives you the opportunity to stack your stats, yeah, right? No and, and to have win totals where in the old days, like, you, you know, I don't remember because it was, it was a little before my time, but we, I think there were only like six rate. And I say only like, I'm not, diminishing what right. Thomas Stevens did as a superbike champ because he won it. I mean, everybody raced the same races and he won it, but I think there were six races back then versus 20 that we have now. Yeah. Well, you, know? you got to remember that Eight. back then they were all single rounds and, and that's what I I'm could, saying. I can't tell you what they I believe in the nine early nineties, nineties, there were still eight, eight races. I think there were still like eight rounds. Eight right? Yeah. Or six, more. eight rounds. I think when my dad like did it the first year of superbike, there was only like three. So because it was a new series and it was, it was what it was three or four. I remember they went to like Riverside and Daytona and Ontario and maybe Laguna. You know? Kind of like what, like, like what Moto America is so doing with baggers. It wasn't right? Ontario. It was Riverside, Daytona, I think uh, Laguna. 
and there might have been one more somewhere in there, but but it wasn't, yeah, exactly kind of like what Bagger. So a little bit off the cuff here, but you know, it's like I think that when we look at Mark Marquez's legacy, for me right now, I don't know if there's anybody that I would say. And I went through the Ross era. I went through a lot of the different ones. I mean, Mark Marquez is the talent he has is pretty incredible. But Greg, let's not get off the point here. I mean, we're talking about this <laughs> Grand Prix. Okay. Are you putting your money on anybody else but Fabio Quattararo going into Jerez? I mean, this kid right now, he's talked about getting like kind of a little bit mentally stronger through through uh, mental psychologists, through sports psychologists. Um, and man, he really looks like the real deal. I'm not going to say that that looked easy for him, but I have to say that the last two races that he has won have been very planned, um, very assertive, and he's been able to make that Yamaha go forward uh, the same way Morbidelli was last year. And it looks like Quattro is really the real deal this year. All right, so two things. Number one, the conversation about Portimao and how a front row start makes all the difference in the world. It's very difficult to pass and you can't win from behind yeah. is, is horseshit. Yep. Because Fabio was buried back there in what, yep. maybe fifth or sixth place, yep. worked his way to the front. Bagnaia finishes 4.8 seconds off and he was all the way down in 11th place in qualifying. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those situations where you have these talking points, but the reality on the racetrack when you look at it is, okay, but Quattararo, he seems in control. He's not making passes that are putting him in a high risk situation. No. He's, he's very controlled. But with that said, he also came out of the gate super strong last year and then kind of fell off. Correct. So it'd be if interesting how he sustains it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Because if you're saying, would you put money down on Quadrado to win this championship right now? I'm a little hesitant. Like my money's halfway to the table because to me, the rider who looks the best is Bagnaya, but Pecco just doesn't have like luck going his way and hasn't for a while. Does well, that makes like it's I, I agree with you to a point. Like I think the second race at Doha, he got sucked into like four rider draft into turn one late in the race, if you remember, ran wide and he kind of felt like that cost him the race because he thought he could have gone maybe possibly with uh with Quattro. Zarco was kind of the fly in the ointment at Doha because he was very difficult to pass, if you remember. And it was like Martin and Zarco were kind of there. Bagnaya was trying to get through. And and Quattararo kind of took advantage of that. And once once Quattararo was able to get through and get down that front straightaway without anybody going past, it made it a lot more. Nobody could catch him. Bagnaya was on the same bike as the two guys in front of him, so kind of maybe going through the same uh, deficiencies and strengths of the same bike made it a little bit maybe harder for him to pass those guys. Um, and then he made some mistake. But I got to agree with you. Bagnaya right now looks like to me, I mean, I can't, there's a couple of guys. Bagnaya to me looks like the likely challenger. And, and Juan Mir finishing third. I mean, Greg, I, I, I don't know. I could probably think of a couple. Alex Creville, Kenny Roberts Jr. maybe. Is there a world champion that gets talked about maybe less right now than Juan Mir? I mean, currently the guy just wins the world championship last year. He's a constant underdog in all these. He finds the podium for the first time this year. He's doing what he did before. He's starting to rack up his points. Um, and I mean, he ends up third and we're not even talking about him hardly. Yeah, that's a good point. It, yeah, I don't I don't understand. It's it's one of those situations where But I'm guilty of it too. Yeah, no, I know. Not on and purpose, I, right? Yeah, no, I am as well. And, and you know, it's kind of one of those things where you look at Valentino Rossi and what he was, you know, doing domination wise and you know, 2000 was a good example of when, you know, Honda started, you know, as their 
when they just introduced electronics and Kenny Roberts Jr. was on the older Suzuki and, you know, it, it rained a lot and, you know, kind of a discounted thing there. And people tend to discount people that win one-off championships. Like it's like, like that's a, oh, well, you know, Nikki, Nikki just, you know, he just won 06 and only did three races. It's, and it's Junior another did this. one though, right? I mean, Nikki, yeah. Mick, and, Nikki only won a race that year, I think, or maybe two. He won two the year yeah, he won the championship. Aston and Laguna and, and, yeah. and, and, Nikki's legacy is that he was a, you know, obviously he's a world champion, tremendous hard worker. You go down the list of everything that they like about, about Nikki. I don't, I don't understand. There's nothing that I can say that I dislike about Joan Mir. He seems like a good enough guy. Um, I think it's funny that when he makes hard passes, he apologizes for every one of them, but, <laughs> but, but he ma- but he makes hard passes. That's the whole thing. And that's he the does, whole thing. He, he? Does, he does do it, but he, he doesn't come off as egotistical. He doesn't come off as, brash or a guy that you can dislike but it does seem to me that he doesn't get the respect he deserves i mean look at the end of the end of the day somebody had to win the championship last year somebody had to win it and and maybe people felt like morbidelli earned it more but morbidelli wasn't there at the beginning of the year uh he came good towards the last like six races but mir did all the things he needed to do and 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 he did win a race and he won it at the most crucial time of the season right at the end two races to go I mean, I just don't think he gets the respect that he deserves. And I think that, I mean, Greg, even to, to the point of this, I don't even have him on my fantasy team, and I don't think you do either. Why Why wouldn't we throw him on there right off the bat at the beginning of the year? Did he not prove enough to us last year, right? Well, here's here's a question for you. After the, after the third round of the championship last year, okay, which would mm-hmm. have been Jerez, right? How many points did Cuadraro have, do you think? Uh, well, he won the first two, um, I believe. Didn't he win the first two at Jerez? So he had 50 right off the Right, bat. so we had, we had the, right, so exactly. So he had I don't 50. remember where they went for the third round, Greg. All right, so let me, so the, sorry, let's go to the third round. The third round was Bruno in the Czech Republic. Okay. okay, yep. So by the third round of the World Championship last year for MotoGP, because they went to LaSalle, all right, Quateraro had 59 points. Juan Mir was sitting in 14th place. With yeah. eleven, with eleven points. Yeah, so, so I mean, he was it's... he was forty eight down on on in, in the world championship and still won that world title. So if you look at it right now and you're saying, yeah, so what, Juan Mir? He just found the podium. Oh, yeah. okay, for the you know in the third race. Oh, okay. Don't you like, gotta think he's like he's like a, he's 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 hunting them down already? You know, I mean, I, when I say he's hunting them down. I know he's like 30, what is he, like fifth in points or something like that? You yeah, know? Like, so he's so it's 61 for Quateraro and Mir has 38 points. So the difference is now he's only 23 points back mm-hmm. in this championship. And we're scheduled for more races this year. Right. Like we're actually scheduled, I think the max number is 20. Right now we have 22 on the calendar with Coda and, uh, and I think Argentina as, you know, possible races. So... It's a it's a weird situation, but yeah, I mean, if you really go back and look at what Mir did last year, the start he had to the year, he was down, you know, thirty nine points after the second round and all this kind of stuff, and just started methodically chipping away at everyone, and he was finishing, and they were not. Like you're right. saying, they're handing people points, which is what Marquez is probably banking on. I think a lot of people look at Marquez and they go, he looked at what Jean Mir did. Right, okay, right. I think what he really looked at is what everybody else did, and all the crashes and the and the the DNFs and the points that they gave away to Mir. And I think he's looking more at the rest of the field, saying, "Well, this is a field that's going to give me points back." 
Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And it's like, it's it's kind of a sad case to me because the guy is is worthy. Franco Morbidelli, let's talk about him. Fourth, great result for him after two hard rounds at, at Doha. I think Morbidelli's got a lot to say in this championship. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to win races as well. I mean, he ends up four, uh, 5.1 seconds back, Greg, to really kind of kick off his campaign. The first two races for him were a bit of a disaster in Doha with the with the uh, start line. Um, oh, why can't I think of it? Device. Um, not oh, locked, not yeah, turning locked off place. in race one at Doha. And I really thought that's what happened to Vinales in this race. I thought, shoot, he's so far back. He's in 21st place. Uh, Vinales is just continuing. Kind of is a mystery to me. Um, he does. He just seems to have these weird kind of races. But I think Morbidelli is going to have something to say about this. And Bender. Bender finishing first, fifth. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Um Mm-mm. Alicia Spargo is another story, though, right? Alicia I mean, Spargo, only Aprilia only eight point eight seconds back. What's going to happen? Enjoying. And what's going to happen if if Dovey tests that bike again in Mugello? Obviously, the bike must be pretty damn good. Um, I I still want to see a little bit more out of Alicia in the sense that now he's had two really good rounds, three really good rounds actually, um, uh, with the first two races at Doha and then this one. I think this is a it's promising start for Aprilia. Uh, and then we talked about Marquez. You know, I I think. Um, just looking at this, Anea Bastianini ends up as our fastest rookie. Jorge Martin, you mentioned it earlier in the podcast, he gets hurt in, in qualifying or practice. Um, it was a nasty tumble. Looked like a lot of guys tipped off in that corner this weekend as well. It was weird, though, because he just kind of lost the front. But the way it slapped him to the ground and then he tumbled through the gravel, um, he ends up, I think, breaking a hand and a, and a foot or something, G-Dub. So, um, you know, Anea Bastianini ends up uh, – our quickest rookie. And I think the last guy, really, you know, a couple guys I want to talk about Takanakagami. Did you see his crash in turn one there? Oh, I did. I was like, well, I, that's I didn't see his the weekend. beginning of it. And I don't understand. I don't really know exactly what he did. Cause I don't, I, I don't think that we saw the very, very start of what it actually happened. I couldn't tell if he got, if he, I couldn't tell if he went over the front and I couldn't tell if he just maybe got on the white paint or something and locked the front and it tossed him down the road. That is a fast crash. Hmm. Yeah. And Paul Spargo's a, crash was fast too, though. I didn't see that one either. Oh man! Oh, I didn't my. see it. I didn't oh, see it. Brutal. But uh, you know, so Greg, I want to go back and, and let's just discuss something here that's got me a little bit pissed off. I told you I'm going to have a little <laughs> bit of a rant on this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We're winding well, up for the final pitch. Hey man, this whole qualifying yellow th- flag thing is total bullshit. Like I'm over it. Like. When you saw, when you see what happens to Bastianini in this, they got 15 minutes. MotoGP race direction is getting far, far, far too involved in all of the racing. It is get it's, it is to the point where you you get so frustrated watching it, and it seems like they've got every rider and every team on mute over there. Like these guys can't come out and talk about how horseshit some of these rules are. Now, to bring you back to what happened here, Bagnaya puts in a hell of a good lap. Um, and and during that lap, Zarco crashes. All right. Now you got 15 minute window to go out and run the best time you that you can. And as a racer, as a rider, um, I was never good at qualifying, but there was a lot of guys that were. And these guys had the ability to go out and hang it out for a lap and put themselves on the knife edge, um, which is very difficult to do. Like you look at a lot of your track day riders who go out there and they're happy about their personal best. Well, imagine doing that plus some and really hanging it out um, at, at, at the level that these guys do it. Bagnaia goes out and, and puts down a lap only to come in and find out that his lap has been canceled. 
So he's back to the back of the grid. And then he gets another shot at it. And he goes out and puts in an even better time, a time that's almost half a second quicker than what that pole time was at the time. And Oliveira had tipped off. That lap gets canceled as well. Now, this yellow flag thing where race control has come in and said, well, you know, there could be corner workers, there could be this and that. I reached out to Simon Crafer and was lucky enough that, you know, um, him and I went back and forth a little bit on this. And he does do a YouTube piece on what the rule is. And the rule basically states that they're worried about the corner workers and the rider that might be involved in, in the situation, not having moved and, and so on. Um, it's crap. Bagnaya ends up having to start at the back of the grid because both of his qualifying times are canceled. Now, Greg, the other thing that really bums me out about this is that Zarco crashes and picks up his bike and gets back to the pit. So any lap that people were on during that time where Zarco was out there uh, picking up his bike and getting going again from a yellow flag, all those riders' lap times get canceled. But Zarco is allowed to get back in, fix his bike, get out and qualify second or third or wherever he qualified. Um, I think if you're going to crash and you cause a red flag in that 15 minutes, you're done. Yellow, yellow flag. Yeah, yellow flag. Yeah. What'd I say? Red flag. Red but flag. It, yeah, sorry, yellow flag. If you crash in that 15 minutes and you've impacted other riders from not being able to put a qualifying time up because you made a mistake, I don't. How your lap time shouldn't count either. Interesting. I think it's. I think when I'm watching this, and 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 Greg, another point of this yellow flag debacle that it is. <laughs> what happens if there's a yellow flag in a race and you got seven guys going at it? When you see a yellow flag waving, Greg, what does that mean? It means you have to hold your position. It means right. you can't do you pass think into that do you, corner. Do you think they're slowing down? No. No. Of course they're not. They're, they're not slowing down. So if you have a crash uh, going into the last corner at Portimao, which is a fast right-hand turn, and there's a race 15 seconds back with five guys going for fifth place, they're not slowing down coming up over the brow of that hill into a yellow flag. The only thing they're not going to do is pass each other. So the corner workers and people are at just as much risk at that point. And it's not like race control can go, well, was it a fast sector or a slow sector? What did they do? I Look, there are inherent risks in our sport. What? That, what? There are inherent Motorcycle risks. racing is dangerous? And that doesn't just mean for the riders themselves. That is corner workers. That is pit lane people that are down sitting on pit lane. 100%. You to, okay? You cannot micromanage every last aspect of what motor racing is you can't do it and to take away somebody's lap time and penalize a guy and a team for something that they did absolutely nothing wrong for and i love it how these guys call it a a yellow flag infringement there's no infringement the guy's going around the racetrack what is he supposed to do and and peco's second lap shattered the track record like four tenths or something ridiculous like that mm-hmm. which is like how much risk did he take until he got to that section where someone else now impacts his life for no good reason? I, I am in agreement with you on this 100%. So why don't you... Well, another, let, let me yeah, ask you this. Yeah. When, when did riders become children? Because that's really what it comes down to. It's like if you're at the MotoGP level, to me, it, you know, MotoGP, the series, and MotoGP, the class, you should be given the common courtesy that you're responsible enough to understand that you need to scan the facility, you know, like scan the area 100%. to see what's going on with that yellow flag. And if if it just happened, you're going to have to check up. You know, if the rider just comes to a stop and you go through that, it's now basically what they're saying is, is 
okay, well, that rider crashed in a bad spot. Even though he's really off in the impact zone, the corner workers were placed all the way across the gravel trap. So it's going to take him that long. So basically what happens is from the when the yellow flag comes out until the yellow flag is taken away, if you ride through that sector, your lap is completely erased. What the hell does that have to do with you? What does that have to do with how, now, like, like Jay, if you had, uh, if you had Usain Bolt as a corner worker or you had Greg White as a corner worker, <laughs> okay? And I had to run through a gravel trap to get to a rider to help, you know, aid the situation or remove the bike. You're going to tell me that you're going to have a benefit because I, you know, that person crashed and you know, you know what I mean? like, it's just a weird deal. I could go on and on about this crap, but I, I don't get what, what used to happen, Jay, what tell, tell me, tell me what used to happen. If you were in qualifying, okay. Not just in your day, but up until two years ago, if you were in qualifying and a yellow flag came out as a rider, what are you supposed to do in qualifying? And you're on, you're on your own lap. Yeah. You're, I'll tell you exactly what you're going to do. This is where you have to Not realize. what you're going to do, but what you're supposed to do. Like, what is the what was the rule before this garbage? Well, just let me let me go back real quick. These riders are all professional. That's what they do. They're professional riders. So when you have a situation, if I'm coming down the front straightaway at Laguna Seca and there's a yellow flag at the start-finish line, that's letting me know that there's probably an accident down in turn two. But when I'm coming up over the top one, over the top at turn one, I'm I'm looking for the situation. I am still going to be under control of what I'm doing. These guys have so much control over their bikes that when you're coming up over the top of a hill or a blind section, um, you are actually assertive enough to look at what you are, what maybe the hazard could be. Now, there are going to be places that are blind. There's going to be places that aren't. The places that aren't blind, and if you look at where Zarco crashed the first time, it was in one of the slowest corners on the racetrack, okay? So guys are going to be coming through the fast right-hander before seeing a yellow flag, but they're still going to be able to roll through there. They, they, you know, they, they know that there's a situation that they're coming upon. That could be a guy that, Greg, what prevents a rider from grabbing pole position, okay? Grabbing pole position. Let's say you come across with two and a half <laughs> minutes left in the session, <laughs> right. okay? And then, and then you go down into turn 11 at Laguna Seca and you, 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 you accidentally lock the front brake up just a little bit and you tip off. And then everybody's lap after that is canceled. Okay, you've done no damage to your bike. You still have pole position, whatever the case is. Okay, um, but but where I'm going with this is, as a rider, as a professional, you're scanning all of the time. So if you see a yellow flag, you're looking for where the situation is, and you're making a very quick determination of if it's there's a bike laying on the edge of the track or there's a body. A lot of times in those cases, it's going to be a red flag. It's going to be a red flag if there's a bike laying on the track or a body laying on the track or just off to the edge. They're going to red flag it, so then your your whole thing is screwed anyway. Right, or or if there's something smaller in the track, there's a debris Correct. flag that'll Correct. come out. Correct. You have properly so, trained corner workers. So the fact is, when you look at all the money that is spent for these guys to go there, that and Bagnaya does zero wrong, nothing, zero. And if you look at what Vinales got penalized for with this track limit bullshit too, and they've put sensors in the green and on the edge. I saw Mike Webb's whole dia- dialogue of what the thing is. It is, it's, it's getting overbearing. It's like, it's like Vinales doesn't even go off the track, Greg. There's, there's, if you look at the, the camera shots of where they claim. It was like half his contact patch or whatever it was. Because of the sensors that they have and, and it triggered them. So it's like, oh, track limits. And it's like, where have we become, what can you show me 
where we've had these big discussions of unfair or somebody cheating or somebody going over a green line and, and cheating the system, um, like for me, it's just gotten to be, it's just gotten to be a little bit much. And it runs all the way through all the classes. This pit lane start crap is crap. It's a joke. It's, it's, nobody should ever have to start from pit lane. I agree that sometimes you have to start a little further back, but, but the MotoGP qualifying for me this last weekend, do you think, let me ask you a question. I already know what you're going to say. It's stupid of me to ask. He ends up 4.8 seconds back at the end. Does Bagnaya get closer to Quattararo if he starts up on the front row? <laughs> Come on. Come on. And and so you've... Dated- we have such a great race. We have such an amazing oh. race if those two are together. They just keep ruining it. Like, like the whole thing that got me to shut off Formula One, the whole thing is I just got tired of race direction. I got tired of A, no passing. B, when there was a little bit of physicality, oh, that guy's going to get penalized. I think it was Rodrigo, Gabriel Rodrigo. I believe it was and I could be wrong, that touched touched Artigas, I believe is who it was he touched, in like turn four there. And, and, and it's a very tight right. Greg, when you have 20 riders all going for the first play, all, all in the first lead group, there's going to be contact. That's what makes the racing great. You cannot penalize every single person for, oh, he touched him, he hit him, he crashed. It, it happens. It, it, unfortunately, that's racing. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, listen, I think the last thing that you need is riders in that situation because no matter what you do, racing is dangerous, especially motorcycle racing. The last thing you need is to have someone's head thinking about what's going on in the office. Oh, right. Like, it's, like it's, you're, you're taking away. Yeah, it makes me crazy too. But listen, we can't change it. But, They've got to look at it. It can't continue on no, this way. There they've got to do something be... different. What if you what if you took Bagnaya's what if you did this, Greg? Let me ask you this, okay? What if you took Bagnaya's quickest segment through that that you know, whatever wherever the yellow flag is, what if you took his second quickest split and you and added, added that to his fastest? That would I mean look, it's at the least he's not age. starting from the last row. Right. It's the computer age. You certainly could do that. It'd be so easy to do. But, but it more... had to it would have to be his quickest segment time before the yellow flag, right? Because mm-hmm. you 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 wouldn't want to give it to him after the yellow flag and give him a chance to just work on sector two, no. you know, to, to, no. to better his time. I know what you're saying. So. And, the, and, and the last thing I'm going to add on this, and I'm going to see if I can find it real quick. So you have to excuse me for just one second here because I'm actually going to look for it. Kyle Wyman and I actually talked about this a little bit. Um, and, and so did, you know who it was? It was Travis and I, Travis Wyman and I, Travis was out at the track. We talked a little bit about something, but he sent me this and, and I, and I'll, I'll read this. It says, I think this rule is a bit too much. The rider risk, the riders risk a lot on a qualifying lap. There's a yellow flag. It is canceled. So they risk for nothing. What happens if a rider goes pole position with two to three minutes until the end and then makes a small crash in turn one. So basically this person is saying the same thing I did. Takes a long time to get out of the gravel. He takes away the opportunity for the other riders. It's funny because I never really saw that part. Um, I agree there is a safety measure, but to cancel the lap completely, um, all the riders take punishment for another rider's mistake. This is just my opinion. And then he puts, thank you. All right. Now, that comes from Scott Redding. All right. Now, the fact that Scott Redding puts it the way he does and then puts thank you on the back. (laughs) Okay. Puts thank you on the back. That means I want to get back to MotoGP. And if I piss off the heads of MotoGP uh, by coming out and saying what bullshit this rule is, this is just my opinion on what I feel Scott Redding is writing because I don't know Scott. 
But when you put thank you on the back, that's like, hey, Carmelo, don't punish me. Well, I want to come back to the series, but I think that this, there's some tweaking that needs to be done here. Well, I, I agree with you on that one. But, you know, we've been to places before. I think it was whatever you want to call it, Infineon Raceway, Sears Point, you know, whatever, Sonoma Raceway now. If you did a lap time, if you didn't make turn one, that lap that you just did was canceled, mm-hmm. as I remember, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe that's something that they want to look at in MotoGP if they find this is a problem. If someone indeed just did this fast lap and then they bend it, you know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, on the next lap, then their lap's going to get erased. But I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's. I just think that it's a it's just a risky sport. And I yeah. think what's next? No, Are you going to wrap everybody in bubble wrap? I mean. You know, they've done amazing things with safety. I mean, if you yes. add electronics, I don't understand series that want to take electronics away because I know that it's increased safety. I get that if the electronics fail, someone's going to go to the moon, you know, and they get hurt. But you add the, the technology that's gone into helmets, the, the uh, air leathers, suit, everything, the leathers, everything, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, you know, the gravel traps, homologation, all these things have gone in the direction of safety. But at the end of the day, until you get digital racers and you have people sitting in a room on a simulator racing and that's MotoGP, which may happen in 20 years yeah, and you don't yeah. actually put human beings at risk. It's like, you know, you've got to put some responsibility on, on the rider's shoulders and say, when there's a yellow flag, you need to check up. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you, you need to yeah, do that. You can, you can look at a situation, Greg, you can, that the, my whole point is they're not checking up during races. No, I know that. No, no, I know. So what's the difference? That's why I don't get like, so, so you're telling me that if there's a qualifying lap and Greg, I, this is the other thing I don't know, but I do believe it is the same. I do believe it is the same, but is it, is it the same in the moto two and moto three categories as well? Is this rule apply? I do believe it does. So, yeah, it's the same. And so, so you're going to tell me that a pack of 20 riders in moto three come into a corner together and there's a waving yellow flag that that isn't more risky than one qualifying lap of one rider coming through. Like, to Especially me, for the corner workers and the it's, rider. It, 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 it's the dumbest rule. And I know, I think I know why they did it. I don't know for sure, but I think they did it prior uh, because of, because of um, the Rin situation last year when Rabat crashed at Jerez. I think it was Rabat that crashed at Jerez. And, and Rins went into the right, lost the front as well. And there was corner workers and a bike and all that crap that was there. I get it, but we're talking about an isolated situation. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna make a full rule based off of isolated situations, you're not gonna have very good racing for the rest of your life. Let's get on with it, Greg. Sorry, I went on a rant. <laughs> I know. This shit pisses we're me like off an, so bad. Like I love hour. the sport. I, yeah, I love the sport. And you know, the thing is, is that is that they've got such a tremendous product right now. They've got the world watching. They're getting ready to do the series, like F1 did. Um, and the and the bot the bottom line is is that the race that had a lot of potential to be a race between Quattararo yes. and Magnaia or whatever. Well, and Vignales too. Vignales got, penali- Vignales got Vignales penalized. Got penalized. Every time he went and did a good lap, he got penalized as well. You took, you took away from what your ultimate product is, which is entertainment. And you did that for, on a Saturday for, sure. for, for, for what? You know for, what I mean? For, for and, under, and, the guy, under the, under the umbrella of safety. And I understand that. And, it, you know, that's where things get really dicey because you don't want to co- totally trash it because you're like, look, it shouldn't matter. The show is the show and everything goes on. And I, and I understand the entire picture, but something else has to be done because this is not working. I agree with you. Now, now let's get let's move forward because there's some of this that I want to bring into this as well, Greg. When we look at Moto2, again, a tremendous race. I mean, can't say enough. Raul Fernandez, what an absolute stud. 
He goes on after showing promise at Doha. He goes on and wins at Portimao, beating a very motivated Aaron Kinnett, who I thought did a really nice job at second. Remy Gardner ends up third. Tremendous effort from Joe Roberts, ending up fourth, leading a lot of this Grand Prix as well. Really showed himself. I uh, was very proud of Joe. Little bit got roughed up there on the last lap by Kinnett and Gardner after getting himself up into second place. Uh, he kind of let the door open a little bit. Kinnett got through, and then Remy forced his way through. Augusto Fernandez ends up fifth. Marco Bezecchi ends up sixth with Vierge. Garzo, our boy Cameron Bobier with a tremendous effort, ends up ninth. Um, does a good job. Only 14.9 seconds back was Cam. We'll get into your boy uh, Ayagura there kind of interrupting uh, our race here, okay, in a mm, minute mm-hmm. with Cam. Schroeder, Giannato, um I'm uh, sorry, Giantonio, rather. La, uh, Giannato. I know, Giannato. <laughs> Giantonio, sorry. Um, Delaporta, Arenas, Baldessari, Marcus Ramirez rounds out top 15, an injured Marcus Ramirez, who it looked like SDK might be going over there to take his place. Ramirez ends up riding. He gets the final point scoring. Big, big effort. Uh, big, big mistake, I should say, from Sam Lowe's at the beginning of this race. He high-sides himself out of turn one right off the bat. Our points leader coming in. Other, other notable non-finishers were Jake Dixon, who ends up crashing out, Bulaga Vietti, Bo Ben Schneider, Ayagura. Um, it looked like he took out Chantra there, Greg, to me, um, going into that tight left. Um, all these guys were non-finishers. I mean, Raul Fernandez, talk about him, Greg. Uh, rookie in Moto2, amazing. Yeah, just a great ride and a calculated ride, and you're just like – I mean, I don't even know what to say, but, but also Kinnett, I mean, you know, so Fernandez sets the pace late in the race. Like he gets the lead kind of midway through Jay, a little past midway through, I think, wasn't it? And he starts to just kind of march away with it. He sets the pace and then he leaves the fight to the, the riders in the back. Joe got to lead what seven laps of this race, but I think Joe was more a victim of an overcooked tire. I think that, you know, that's why the door was left open. It didn't look like the bike would go, to the spots he wanted it to go to. And I think that that's what left the door open. Really good race. I think Fernandez looks like a championship contender, but Kanet on that frame, I don't even know how you pronounce that as a Bosco Kuro or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Bosco Skuro. Yeah. Bosco Skuro. The fact that the the top 11 of the 12 were on Calix chassis and the fact that he is in there is showing me a lot about from that Aspar team. And that's quite an accomplishment, especially because, you know, it just seems like every contender that's come up against Calix has really fallen by the wayside in Moto2. I mean, it, it's 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 great. I mean, NTS has had some good races. MV Augusta has had a couple, but that's yeah, a great that, race. So it's I great. like it. I like what I saw from Joe Roberts. Cameron Bobier. the thing I will say about Cam is he got a really good start, and he put himself – I think he was up to – before people started crashing out other than Sam Lowe's, Cameron got himself, I think, up to as high as like eighth place or seventh place. Great. He and was so right the, there in the league group. He was. He was right there in the lead group. So hopefully, I haven't talked to Cam about it. I know that uh, that his fiance is over in, in Europe, and they've been plowing around uh, Barcelona a little bit yeah. over the weekend and stuff to get some relaxed time. So I haven't been bothering him, bothering him. But my guess is, is that that ride alone is going to give Cameron that shot in the arm of confidence oh, yeah. that he needs. And I would not be surprised if we start to see Cam to, to slowly and methodically climb that ladder because well, there's going to be some tracks that he's seen before now that he's going to like Jerez and some other places. And I think that Greg, I always say that as, as a racer, once you see the pace, once you actually see it, it, it helps you put your head on the pillow at night because you realize that you're kind of there. 
Cam Cam <clears throat> made a decent start, got kind of shuffled back, started going through all these guys, got up to that lead pack, and then the two teammates, um, Agura uh, and and Chantra, I mean, essentially put the when you look back at it, Cam actually got shoved back by, I believe it was Augusto Fernandez that kind of touched him in that fast left, which I believe is turn five or four. He got kind of touched and shoved out. And then the two uh, Ida Mitsuhanda Team Asia riders both thought that they were going to go up underneath Cam into that tight left. <clears throat> and thank goodness they didn't take him out. They took each other out. But that really created that gap between that first seven or eight guys and Cam. And uh, sad, sad to see that actually happen to him, um, getting shoved back the way he did. But, but yeah, I agree with you. It, it's a, a great effort from him. I will say that when you look at what Joe Roberts did, <clears throat> and this goes back to the discussion that we are having right before this, when race direction gets involved. Now, the thing you got to remember is racers are racers, and you're going to touch. There's going to be, there's going to be contact, and the guy. And again, I go back. I think it was Rodrigo, Greg, and I'm not positive, so don't hate me if I got that wrong. But I think he got penalized. He had to do a long lap penalty for touching Artigas, just touching him, and Artigas fell. In this particular set case, if Joe crashes, do they penalize Remy Gardner? Hmm. I mean, there was, a, there was a gap. Remy took it, and it would be the same exact move that jo- Joe would have done the exact same thing. I haven't heard Joe complain about it once on social media. I saw he showed a photo of his of his front uh, leather um, tire being on his leathers, but I haven't seen Joe come out and say that was unfair. That was this. That was that. Joe took his fourth place. Went no, to the and garage. actually, they they po- MotoGP posted a, a, a conversation and an overheard conversation they had on video of Joe and uh, you know Joe's already in his in his street clothes and Remy towards you know like I think maybe after the podium or whatever and the conversation was civil. You know what I yeah. mean? And Joe didn't go over there to say anything. He went over there to congratulate Remy and. You know, it was it was good. Joe Joe was like, "Hey, good race." You know, and and Remy now leads the world championship, his first time in his career. So, you know, I, I think you know Joe is sitting on twenty three points, tied with Kinnett, um in the championship, back in seventh place. Garner's leading with fifty six. So, you know, I I don't know, you know, if I'm looking at Joe Roberts to to possibly win this championship, but what I am looking at was after that ride, I think Joe's got plenty of podiums, uh, and I think he's got a couple of race wins in him. Oh, this he's year. winning. I really believe Joe's going to win this year, and and. And I think that when he does, there could be a windfall of him. I think he's got the talent. He's got the skills. But the thing I'm trying to get across is where does race direction draw the line? Because that was a very, very aggressive move that Joe could have gone down just as easy. And I would have loved – I wouldn't have loved it. I would have been interested to see had Joe gone down what they do with Remy. Because it was it was a move that every one of us would make. Racers would move would make, okay? Maybe not you so much, but racers, Okay. <laughs> They would make this move because it's the last lap, two corners to go, and there is a small gap, and you could see the setup coming. You could see he was going, he was going to try to turn it back up underneath Joe, and and you don't want to take that out of these riders, do you, Greg? That's no, what we want to see. No. We want to see ra- it. It's called racing, not yeah. not yeah. be nice to someone in front of you. Correct. There was nothing. There was nothing. I didn't think that was over the line. There. It was a good. It was a hard pass, but it was a good pass, and. Um, Anyways, Moto2 is going to be interesting. We're going a little bit long today because of my rant. I apologize. So let's get to Moto3. <laughs> Greg, this Pedro Costa kid seems like he could be the real deal. He ends up winning again uh, in dramatic fashion over Dennis Foggia. Andre Aminio, your pole sitter, ends up third. Sasaki, Rodrigo, Antonelli, Fanati ends up seventh with Sergio Garcia. Masia, who 
I don't know, man. Jami Masia to me just doesn't seem like he's kind of got the writer IQ to to do what he needs to do. And I think he's going to get pretty frustrated having this Acosta kid as his teammate. He's already won two Grand Prix this year to Masia's one, but Acosta seems a little bit more steady in my opinion. Uh, Yamanaka, Nepa, <clears throat> uh, I, I always say Depeskier is is – I always get his name wrong, but his first name's Jason, so he can't be a bad guy. He ends up 12th. Salik, <laughs> Alcoba, and Dennis Anchu round out your top 15 finishers. There really wasn't that many non-finishers. Uh, Tatsuki Suzuki, Artigas, who I mentioned, did get tapped off the bike, and Adrian Fernandez. Acosta, Greg. I mean, you got to look at this kid and think this guy won Red Bull Rookies last year, and already he's got two Grand Prix under his belt. Um, he's, he's shown us that he can do it a couple different ways, hasn't he? Yeah, a couple different ways. Yep. Seems very smart. Seems like he's got a high rider IQ, like you're saying. Put himself in a good position. Took advantage of it when he had to. And he wins by, what, 0.05 of a second. The top, of course, seven covered by seven-tenths of a second. Garcia was kind of in no man's land, half a second behind Fanati in eighth. And then there was that that other pack. I mean, that's the thing about this class. We've talked about it time and time again. What do you do? Where do you put yourself? And this is why... If you're Acosta, two for two, he's put himself in positions to win these races, one by checking out, you know, but had to pass for it. And this particular situation to put yourself exactly where you needed to in a pack that anybody in the top seven could have won this one is is great considering he is a class rookie. Yep. I, because I don't I don't get to watch the Red Bull Rookies Cup stuff. So no, I don't I know what it was like when he won last year. Was it this close? Is it really a great class that Basically, when you jump into Moto Three, it's kind of the same, same. Like, like yep. everybody's battling, or did he win by a couple checkouts? I don't know, but he is impressive without question. Yes, and I think that there are already people in this paddock that I guarantee you they're talking about putting this kid on a GP bike. You know, not not next yeah. year, but I'm saying they're like, okay, let's look at his size, let's look at his height, let's look at the way he's handling these races, and somebody's thinking Pedro Acosta GP. So get to know his face for for certain. I, you know, you don't want to, obviously, it's very hard to crown these guys this early in the year. It's, oh, of course. It's difficult to do. But when you start to look at the championship right now, Greg. Oh, my gosh. Right dude. now. Have you seen it, what it is? Yeah. He's got 70 points. And <laughs> Jami Masi has got 39. I mean, Greg, <clears throat> I'm not very good addition. That's a 31-point lead after three rounds. You're right. Like, that's that's incredible. That's It is. And, <clears throat> and you're not going to manage – at this stage, you're, you're not just kind of managing, but he is almost in that state now. When you start to look at the guys he's got a race against, and Moto3 is so hard to win, and it is such a volatile class of how contact can get made and, and this and that. But, I mean, to have a 31-point lead after two three rounds, are you kidding me, as a class rookie? That, to me, is pretty incredible stuff. And this kid's going to be hard to beat because he's going to be, you know, he knows all these tracks. He knows pretty much all the tracks with the exception of a couple, and it's going to be very difficult for these guys to, like, I think, beat this kid at a lot of places. Well, because I think also he's young enough right now, and he's got that swagger about him where yep. all he's trying to do is just, like, he's not thinking championship. I don't think. I mean, obviously he won one, so he understands how it works, but it's so early on. It's just like, ah, I'm just going to go out and grab as many points as I can. Yep. You know? Yep. Because he knows at this point that there are going to be people around him that'll fall down. Yep. So he's got one in the bank yep. right now, 31 points. He's got one, he's got one crash in the bank, and it's only the third race of the season. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's all right. You no, know, what he's done, Greg, you got to, you got to take your hat off to him. I think. I mean, we sit there and we watch, I, you know, you and I and, and the rest of us that are my friends that we go to, we watch these races. And I'm just like, 
and Moto three, I mean, I say it before it makes my palms sweat. Like I sit there and I like, I'm like, Oh my God. Like I, I don't want no part of that. I don't want to be involved in that mess. <laughs> so really actually incredible, uh, incredible stuff. And, um, I know that's going to blend into our favorite time of the podcast. Fantasy, ladies and gentlemen, we're off to MotoGP Fantasy. It's the Greg's Garage pod with Jason Pridmore. That's our league. Uh, in the Let's Go League, by the way, I have moved up to number one. I truck- saw that. That's it. Yeah. A- yeah. So in the, how, Chuck, in the Chuck Walla Fantasy, are. I'm up to eighth. <clears throat> and in yes. our in our podcast, okay, I'm 18th, bro. Eight. Great. That, I got to take my hat off to you. I'd love to rip you. I'd love it. But that's incredible. That is that's pretty good. You're 18th. I moved up. I went from like 144th to <laughs> I'm 117th now. Which oh, bravo! Hey, for me, that's you know that's a big step. And when you start to look at it, Greg, one you know we're gonna have to on a lighter week. We're gonna have to do a fun podcast just on on. And I know I'm going to our motocross podcast in a minute, but. You look at the names of some of the things on there. <clears throat> There's some people that don't like us, which I love. Well, I'm assuming. Did you some... see who's in P4? Oh, my God. G-Dub is low AF. It's slow. It's slow. G-Dub oh, yeah, is course. slow, slow as, as... Yes, as the F-bomber. As farts. Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, that's a good one. That's pretty but, good. But you got to give it up to our points leader currently, okay? Yep. Which is... Uh, Pappy Wildcat. Pally Wildcat. Isn't Pally Wildcat. Wait, no, this is Pappy it, on mine. Oh, okay. It says Pappy on mine too, but if you click on their name, it says P A L I. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Pappy Wildcat right. on the thing, but if you click on their if you click on their name, it oh, says, says Pally. God, I don't know who that is, but anyway, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. One hundred and fifty-one points is a huge haul. Yeah. You know, you got to give it up to uh, to Team Boar at one forty-eight in P three now, and G Dub is slow AF with a 147. I did okay. I mean, I I got what what 100 129 points. So that was pretty 18th, good. 18th, Gw. I'm in. Mm-hmm. Did you see who's uh did you see who's 13th? <laughs> no. Who's 13th? I got to look at it. Have a Hold look. on. All right. I got to load it up again. I just clicked on it. I mean, of it. I mean it's it's it we're the fact that we're both getting beat by him. Bossman Mick? Yeah. Oh, come on. That's Mickey from the track. I know. I know he's beating I know. us. But anyways, uh, it's, that's right. He's sliding. He's sliding at ninety-seven points. So I'm, I'm. He slid back I'm in a his little draft. bit this week. I'm in his draft, and that's back. a big ass draft. Yeah. And and when you look at this, <laughs> MotoGP's a lot of fun for us. If you're not involved in a league, you should do it. Um, we we obviously, um, you know, when you look at the riders and how we do, how it all gets done, um, it's it's a lot of fun and it's a lot of good razzing with your friends. So it's something that you could do uh, if you got buddies. But Greg, I got 235 I'm very, players in this league, so it's, it's building. Got to say, I'm well, very impressed. settle down, set, settle down. Now, this is okay, the furthest you've ever been up in the three years that I can honestly remember. I probably scored more points this season than all last year. So <laughs> just, yeah, probably just, right. All right, let's just take a deep breath, okay? It's only lap three of twenty. All right, I just took the lead in lap three of twenty. That doesn't make a difference. All right, I just won practice. Congratulations, <clears throat> Greg. Let's look, move forward now. We had the final two rounds of um, Supercross, our last two rounds. I shouldn't say the final two rounds. The last two rounds of Supercross were pretty entertaining stuff when we look at how it went, who it went. Um, man, round two in Atlanta, we had Ken Roxon winning, and it looked like Ken Roxon was going to be making a big charge. Uh, 
Chase Sexton ended up second. Jason Anderson third. Barsha Tomac. And Cooper Webb ends up sixth. Got roughed up a little bit, didn't he, in that one? Did uh, did Cooper Webb. And it looked like maybe this was going to be an opportunity. We really both felt a week or so ago that this track in Atlanta looked much like the Daytona one. Eli Tomac won the first week. And we thought, well, maybe this is going to be the thing for Eli Tomac. He's going to go out and win three in a row, get himself right back in this hunt. But Ken Roxon absolutely dominated it. Marvin Miscan ended up seventh. Plessinger, Wilson, and Savachi rounded out your top ten in the first week. But then last this last Saturday night, Greg, watching what went down there um, was actually a little bit hard for me to watch. I don't know if, how it was for you. Why? Rock, well, because Roxon's out to a 13-second lead. And looks like he's got this thing under control. It looks like he's trimming the gap back down to Cooper Webb before we go to the final two rounds in Utah. Yeah, he makes, but, a, he makes a mistake in the whoops right at the that, end. But but doesn't that what Ken does? I mean, well, I, I hate to pigeonhole him into that. Hard but, to watch for me because I like Ken Roxon, and I think that there's a number of us. Me too. That 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 want to see. You know, we saw what Supercross did to Ken Roxon and how it impacted his life with his arm, and that's going to be a career thing probably for him as he gets older. He's probably going to end up having some trouble with that arm. I hope he doesn't. But at the end of the day, you go, man. I think that it's a little bit easier pill to swallow when you say, well, I did end up winning the Supercross championship after all that adversity. That says a lot about the man. Now that's not saying anything less about the man, but as a, as a, as an athlete, you go, man, I was pretty pumped. I came back and won after all that, you know, and, um, and to see it slip away from him the way it has. uh, And it really does seem Cooper Webb's just got his number, doesn't he? I mean, it just seems like he's got his number. Anytime it comes down between Ken Rockson and Cooper Webb, who are you putting your money on? I think just Cooper Webb has everybody's number. And, and I agree. You know, like he just has Cooper just has this way of grinding it out. Yeah. He really does. Yeah. He doesn't get flashy with it. He doesn't, you know, set this lap record and, you know, win this heat race by 50 seconds. Yeah. Like he can. Yep. But no one really associates Cooper Webb with a bunch of flash. And the, I think the thing is, is like Kenny Rockson. From the, from the experiences that I've had with him, is like the guy you see on the podium. He's engaging. Yep. He's got a good personality. He's he's bubbly. Likeable. Likeable. Tomac is quirky, but likable. You know, there's a lot of guys. Barsha, if you love Bam Bam, he's in there. I love Malcolm Stewart. When it comes to Cooper Webb, there's so many people that just don't like Coop. And I have such admiration for Cooper Webb because Cooper Webb is a guy who enjoys his job. Okay, like he's a grinder, like he's, Greg. He's a grinder. God, he gets grinder. in there. He does work. He he definitely enjoys it, but he enjoys it for himself and he enjoys it for the people that are closest to him. Cooper just doesn't have that share it with the world vibe that I think that people relate to with some of the other riders. And you I know, think he kind of reminds me of a little bit. He reminds me of a salty Ryan Dungey, like. Dunge was always seemed like a great guy, good dude, smiling, doing his thing. Um, just got on with it, won races, won championships, but always seemed like he was a little happier doing it, even though he was looked like he didn't really hang out with a lot of guys. Cooper just seems like that version, but salty. Like just kind of doesn't truly give a shit about anybody else, just does his own program and and kind of like like Michael Gilbert was telling me about a uh a supplement supplier that Cooper Webb goes to that Mikey uses. Gilbert uses the supplement. Uh, and and they, they said that Cooper Webb um, 
he just loves the product so much. He just buys it in bulk. Like he has never asked for sponsorship. He's never asked for money. He just likes the product. And that's kind of the kind of guy he seems like, like I couldn't really be bothered with going and asking for this or asking for that, but I like the product. So I'm just going to go buy it on my own. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he just, but I mean, you, you don't want to, you don't want to crown the guy, but with two rounds to go, Cooper Webb's going to be a hard guy to beat. I, it's kind of like, again, a guy that nobody really talks about. He's already won a Supercross championship, but it's like, you know, you know, people are always talking about the Tomax and the other guys and this that, but uh, then there's this Cooper Webb guy who just seems to put seasons together. And it looked like Roxham was going to win the championship this year. I mean, he, he went on a run, I believe, in Dallas and started to win a bunch of races. Tomac's been kind of his on-off self a little bit, I guess you could say. And then all of a sudden, Cooper Webb just starts winning. And every time it comes down to Cooper Webb against Ken Roxon, every time this year, it's Cooper Webb. And I don't know, man. It, it just seems like he's got his hand, you know, at least one hand firmly grasped on it as that plane took off on its way to Atlanta. And then, Greg, real quick, going to the 250 results this last week, I don't know how he does it, but the second time in three weeks or three races, uh, Nate Thrasher comes from the LCQ and wins this last Saturday night's race over Cooper Hammaker, Lawrence, Kyle Peters, Jacob Swole, Jalek Swole, um, Enzo Lopes, Harrison Schwartz, Shock Kelly. They're, they're, they're basically all your points finishers. But when you look at it, Justin Cooper now leads that championship by a pretty, health, pretty healthy margin. I guess you could say 20... Uh, 20 points is pretty big considering I think they have one round left. Um, and when you look at it, it it's uh, pretty impressive what Justin Cooper's done this year. He's had a, he's had three wins himself. But I think what most people are going to remember over this little Atlanta period is just the beating a body can take. And Cameron McAdoo has shown uh, it, it's pretty insane what a body can endure. Oh, my God. I don't even know what to say. The kid... The fact that he just kept getting up from all these crashes. If you haven't really gone online and looked at anything, there's all kinds of reels and all the other stuff up there out there about Cameron McAdoo. The the crashes this kid had. I mean, the one that he had this last week where it looked like he was trying to scrub uh like scrub a double, and as he's going up the face, he loses the front. So the bike is airborne before and, oh. and he is airborne and he's flipping through the air solo, no bike by himself. And then he got absolutely cleaned out, which I saw in the race. I mean, like, dude, if 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 I'm a if I'm a national brand right now, yeah, okay, I'm massage envy, and I am sponsoring the shit yeah. out of Cameron yeah, McAdoo. Any kind of massage oils, anything, anything, <laughs> anything, anything. Yes. CBD I mean, out the wazoo. I mean, this guy is so tough. Well I mean, he's tough as nails, man. As oh hard as they God. come, as hard as they come. So Supercross is heading off to. Uh, Supercross is heading off to Utah now, I believe, this weekend. They don't have a weekend off, right? They go this weekend. So this weekend, they got yeah. two weekends. No, they go Saturday to Saturday. Do they not, GW? They Saturday don't Saturday. to Saturday. Okay, got it. Got it. Now, in the old fantasy Supercross, as well as you are doing in MotoGP early, I'm going to brag a little bit. I'm proud of myself. I went from 24th, <laughs> Greg. I've got myself up to 9th now. Um, got myself up to 9th. Hucklebuck Racing leading with two rounds to go over a charging Nick Siling. My buddy off the Siling is there in second. And Nick Nick says to me, I think it was Saturday night because he had raced and he wasn't happy with his results. And he goes, well, at least I pulled something out of fantasy to forget kind of about my Saturday. So Nick is one of the best kids you'll meet. He goes to all the Moto America races, works for and with David Anthony. So, um, but he is... Uh, great. At one point, Nick was like 35th or something in our in, in this pool. 
making so up some ground. By oh the way, I got a man. I got an Instagram message from Grant, who is Everest Grant, just just ahead of you right now okay. by what eight points? Yeah. Can you tell JP he might catch me? But it's only because I started swinging G for the fences. Uh-huh. I don't know what that means. Well, <clears throat> I'm coming after him. I am only eight points back. And, uh, yeah, that's good. I, I love it when, uh, people, I, I get, I get a lot actually. I always forget because I want to mention them on the podcast. I think I feel like these guys, like you just did there, uh, with Everest Grant, when they reach out to us, I think it's kind of cool to mention them. We appreciate you guys listening. Um, the big loser a couple weeks ago was Mikey because Mikey's 20th now. Gilbert, Greg, Michael Gilbert. Yeah. yeah. Michael Gilbert, but he's 20th. All right. He missed a week on accident. Kid was working. I give it to him. I mean, he legitimately was, he's 20th, but Greg, you know how many points he scored in the 250 alone? So for those uh-huh. that don't know, if you score like 200 points or more, I think that's that's pretty good. A couple in of these one, guys in one yeah. in one weekend. You know, the average right now winning is 220, 222.9. So if you can score 210, 215, like I've scored 212 average for, for the season. So to really not take yourself out of this, if you were to score 200, you'd be doing okay. Um, Mikey had 173 points after the 250 race. Yeah. I thought he was going to get like 300. <clears throat> he ends up 20th. Our boy Dougie went backwards a little bit. He's I went 16th. backwards. I went backwards back? because I missed. Well, I missed. missed. Yeah, I missed Tuesday. I missed Tuesday. So I was in like 53rd, just getting ready to to claw my way up onto uh, page one. But unfortunately, I have slid down to 61st. Chuck's been killing it. He's up to Chuck Asklin. He's up to 27th. Kevin has been getting killed in 23rd. And I just want to throw a shout out to uh, Beat JP Forty Three. I mean, you don't have a chance. So I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate you. Uh, you're you're officially a hundred points behind me, and uh, yeah, that's not going to happen, Uncle Skip. Yeah, you you gotta you gotta start doing your research a little bit better. Massholes in thirty fourth. Gotta yeah. give it up to Masshole. Yeah, Uncle so, Skip. Uncle 45th. Skip. Now, Jason. Yeah. In our side pool that we have with Chuck Axon, Skip Axon, you and I. Yeah. As it sits right now, I think you and I both have four wins on yep. the season. They have three wins. So these last two are going to be critical for, for you know, claiming rights on who on who in our little deal has actually won more because we do it against our I feel like ourselves. I owe Chuck money still from last year, but I'm hoping he forgets. Uh, don't worry about it. I already gave it to him. Trust me. Yeah. You owe it to me, jerk wagon. Oh, I do? Is that why mm-hmm. I haven't heard from Chuck? I'm a little disappointed. I was kind of hoping he'd be calling me and begging me for this money. So look, if you missed out on the Greg's Garage Pod with the Pulp MX Fantasy, you know, whatever, we'll do it again next year. Maybe this one, maybe not. But there, there are two left. So if you want to, you can you can go in and look at the rankings each week. So you can still play two weekends. Join us, see if you got what it takes. All right, on next week. Hey, week's hey, show, hey do I- you know who I'm chasing the RM Fantasy one? Who just talks crap to me every single week, like all the time? Yeah, I know. Paul Carruthers. I'm I'm like seven points back. I'm chasing you, Paul. (laughs) Coming after you. Dude, he's a tiny guy. He's got a small draft. Good luck. Yeah, no kidding, right? Good luck. All right, next week's show, Greg, what are we talking about? Moto America, ladies and gentlemen. Getting ready for the start of the season. We're going to be pumped about that. So we're going to be talking about the classes. We're going to be talking about people racing in those classes. And we'll talk a little bit about the penultimate round of Supercross as well. Look at it this weekend's race calendar. Uh, not a ton going on, but of course, Supercross in Salt Lake City, AMA National Enduro in Forest Hills, Louisiana, Mid-South Cross Country in Crawford, Tennessee, and the AMA NGPC Series in Lake Havasu City. So, sorry for going so long, yeah, everybody. Yeah, sorry uh, about my rant. I hope my rant no, was warranted. I, I think it was warranted. And and maybe we can get Simon Crafer on our show. I know. I think he would come on the show with us. It'd be fun to have him on. Like I said, great. An absolutely great guy. I've, I've The little time that I've spent with him, 
uh, hung out with him quite a bit in Spain, had dinner with him and, and just a, just a really who, who good else, dude. Who else are we going to promise that we never deliver on? Right. Like we keep, well, it's not like we don't deliver. Like it's like, we're year. busy. Dude. It's like, eh, we're, we're going to get Lowe's. We're, we'll get Sam. Yeah, we'll I'm get, not going to call Sam after what he did in turn one, although he'd be the, he, he's probably already <laughs> forgotten about it and he would probably do it. No question. But it's just, dude, it's just a matter of like, we're pretty slammed. I mean, I haven't been home. You haven't been home. I know. It just makes it difficult. And you know, again, no excuses. We want to get on. Hey, if there's some people that you think that you'd like to see us get on the show, you know, write into us. I mean, I'm sure Quattro would get right on with G-Dub anyway. Uh, pretty positive. Um, <laughs> who, who? Yeah. Who? I think it's hey, good you know too, what? Greg. We, we don't... We know, we, but here's the thing. We know Loris Baz now, so maybe I could – Pull all you know, Loris knows the entire paddock. We'll yeah, start maybe. Everybody. Hey, Loris, man, you slide me Quadraro's number real quick. And I don't think it's gonna it hurt us having him in the paddock. I'm really actually looking forward to to getting to meet Loris myself and talk to him. I think it's good, G Dub, that we don't really have anything big going on this weekend as far as racing goes, because it's really gonna give us a chance to really talk about the Moto America and preview the season on our show next week. Next Tuesday, I'll be home. You're gonna be home? Yep, I'll be home. So Tuesday morning, we're we're gonna be banging this out. We're a day late. Because I got home late Monday night. I took a day off yesterday. So we're day late on this one today, Wednesday. Greg. Yeah, but we posted. I posted on Wednesdays. Yeah, it's good. You don't you don't listen to the podcast and give us a, a listen. But anyway, All if right. you like what you heard, go to the Patreon, slide us some dough. We don't really care, honestly. Yeah. Yep. And now we, we hope you enjoy some shows on that. The, just some inside information on some of the things that we do. Or maybe yeah. we start doing some stuff from the races on a Saturday night or whatever. Oh um, no, stop stop with that bullshit. I'm not I'm too busy to deal you, with you. Don't you, want to work for, you don't want to work for 12 hours and then do a podcast? For free? What's no, wrong with I you? I do not. Know? What is wrong uh, with you? I don't know. Thanks for listening to the Empty Promises podcast. Jason, you get the yes. last word. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great week. That's it? Uh, yeah, that's it. I'm tired. All right. Goodbye. Later.